Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to feed upon your word. We thank you, Father, that your word is true. And because it is, we have a sure foundation for our lives. We thank you, Father, that you never leave us nor forsake us. And therefore, we know that we'll come through this situation stronger than we went in and seeing the glory of God. We thank you, Father, for utterance in the Holy Ghost tonight. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to start in Ephesians chapter 1 tonight. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, which is in many ways the most successful church of, the, uh, of that day, certainly the largest of any of the churches that Paul started. Beginning in verse 15, Paul said, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now Paul's writing to a church that even though it's a very large church, even though, as I said, it, in many ways it could be considered to be the most successful church of the day, it's a church that's facing perpetual persecution. They're in a situation where at any point in time they could be required to confess Caesar as their God. It's written by a man that within a few short years will be martyred for his faith beheaded for his belief in the Lord Jesus and the pastor of the church which is Timothy that Paul is writing this letter to will be stoned in the streets of Ephesus because he stood up against one of the forms of idol worship that were common in the city so even though they were achieving great things for God they were facing some very dire circumstances and the situation that they existed in makes the stuff that we face seem trivial. And in, in so doing, Paul trying to encourage the church doesn't ask that God would give them anything except revelation. The only thing he asked in his prayer for God to give them was the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Instead, he prays that they would know who they are and what they have. Now let's continue reading. We'll recap a little bit. Verse 18, he prays that their eyes would be enlightened, that they may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now here's where that place is at the right hand of God far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Notice the purpose for God raising Jesus to his right hand is to put all things under his feet and he gave him 
Jesus to be the head over all things to the church. Well, if the, the feet are above all the things that are under Jesus' authority, and we are the body of Christ, then that has to mean that those things are under us too. Now, go, let's go on into chapter 2. Paul didn't write in chapter and verses. So he continues the thought, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or manner of life in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in, the kind, in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Paul tells the church about their authority. Paul identifies by the Spirit of God, at the prompting of the Spirit of God, to pray for the church for their eyes to be opened, their spiritual eyes to be opened, so that they would see who they are in, in Him, who we are in Christ. And that we would know what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Folks, we've got an inheritance in Jesus. And that inheritance that we have in Jesus outstrips any physical inheritance that we could ever have. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 that we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We have, by virtue of the fact that Jesus died for us and we made him the Lord of our lives through faith, we have, by virtue of that new birth, received every spiritual blessing that there is. Everyone, not one missing. And the third thing that Paul is inspired by the Holy Ghost to pray for us is that we would know the exceeding greatness of his power. And then he tells what that power is. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. But it doesn't just raise Jesus from the dead. It set him in his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all the power of the enemy, far above principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in higher heavenly places. All those things are underneath Jesus. All those things have been placed underneath the throne, the seat at the throne of God, at God's right hand. But that power didn't just raise Jesus. It raised us up too. It made us alive. It quickened us. And then he raised us to be seated at his right hand right along with him. We have become joint heirs with Christ. Not lesser heirs, but joint heirs with Christ. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins and has raised us up together and made us sit together in Christ, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. Now, I want you to look back with me also to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 is the story of when Jesus asked the disciples who people were saying that he was. You remember they came to a certain place, and this place was Caesarea Philippi, and there were all kinds of idol worship and different gods that were being worshipped at the same place. It was kind of a, a strip mall for idols. 
and false gods. And in the midst of that, Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And Peter answered for the group. And he said, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus turned around and made it personal. He said, who do you say that I am? And then Peter answered again and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus answers and says unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Here's that revelation that Paul is praying for the church to have. Peter had it revealed to him, the Holy Ghost revealed to him that Jesus was the Messiah. Verse 18, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He can't be talking about Peter being the rock. Peter was too shaky a foundation for this church. It's not too much longer after this point in time that Peter denies Jesus on the night that he was taken to Pilate. He's not talking about Peter being the rock of the church. He's talking about the knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. He says, upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now it sounds like there's a battle that, that, that's being spoken of. Jesus seems to be talking about a conflict that takes place or will take place. And thank God we're on the winning end of that conflict. So he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now notice verse 19. This is really the one that I want to point out to you. Verse 19, it says, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now there can be, and there is in the uh, church world, a lot, of, uh, a lot of controversy and a lot of argument about what the keys of the kingdom of heaven are. But let's set that aside for just a moment and see what the purpose is. He said, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. He's talking about the church prevailing over the work of the enemy. I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What I want you to see, folks, and what I want you to focus on is the same thing we saw in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. When Paul is praying for the church, he doesn't pray that God would give them something other than revelation. He just simply prays that their eyes would be opened, the eyes of their spirits would be opened, so that they could see and know who they are in Christ and what belongs to us because we're joint heirs with him. And to know the exceeding greatness of his power that works in us as believers. That same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead and set him at God's right hand. Raised us from the dead. Spiritual death that is. And seated us with him in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might. So if we look at the prayer that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. We would have to conclude that the one thing, the number one thing that Paul is praying for the church to know. The number one thing that Paul is inspired by the Holy Ghost to pray that the church would step into is the authority that's been given to us in the name of Jesus. And that's exactly what Paul says, uh, exactly what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 16. I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom, and whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Notice everything starts on the earth, doesn't start in heaven. Doesn't say whatever God binds in heaven will be bound on the earth. It says whatever you bind on the earth shall be bound in heaven. Brother Hagin told a story or told of something that happened to him 
back in the 1950s, he was having a meeting in a certain church. And during the course of this meeting, the Lord, after one of the evening services, I believe, the Lord appeared to him. And in this appearance, he had a vision that lasted for about an hour and a half. He said Jesus talked to him for about an hour and a half about how to deal with the devil and so forth, demons and, and demon activity and so forth. And Brother Hagin said that at, toward the end of this vision where Jesus was teaching him about the devil and how to deal with the devil and so forth, he said there was a little imp, demon spirit of some type. He said it looked kind of like a monkey, but then he clarified that and said it didn't really look like a monkey, but it was small of the, of the same type of size. And anyway, he said this little demon spirit got in between Jesus and, and Brother Hagen. They were some distance apart. Maybe they were practicing social distance. But um, he got in between Jesus and, uh, and Brother Hagen, and he started jumping up and down, waving his hand, flapping his hands, saying yakety yak yak, yakety yak yak, just making a lot of noise. And at the same time, he was doing this jumping and, and annoying speech of whatever. He said that he was putting out a black cloud. And it got to where it got thicker and thicker. And finally, Brother Hagin said, I could still hear Jesus talking, but I couldn't distinguish the words. I couldn't tell what he was saying. And he said that he almost panicked. He's thinking thoughts like, why is Jesus allowing this to happen? Doesn't Jesus know that I can't hear him? These things that he's saying to me are important. I need, to, I need to get what he's saying. And so finally, in desperation, he just pointed at this little evil spirit and commanded him to stop in the name of Jesus. And he said, instantly, when I gave that command, this thing just fell for flop on the floor. And he just laid there and whimpered and whined like a, a little puppy that you might whip or something. And Brother Hagin pointed at him saying, not just quit and desist in your maneuvers, but get out of here. And it went running away. Then Brother Hagin said that the Lord spoke to him. Now the cloud's gone. He can see and hear clearly anything and everything that the Lord has to say to him. And the Lord said something that he set up into his theology. The Lord said, pointed to where this thing was. And Jesus said, if you hadn't done something about that, I couldn't. Well, Brother Hagin asked for clarification several times, really. He said, I must be, be hearing wrong. He said to Br Brother Hagin said to Jesus, you didn't say that if I hadn't done something about that, you couldn't. You went to say you wouldn't. Isn't that right? And the Lord said again, no. If you hadn't done something about that, I couldn't have. Well, Brother Hagin questioned him the second time. Now, Lord, you didn't say that if I hadn't done something about that, then you couldn't. You said you wouldn't, didn't you? He said the third time the Lord got kind of stern about it, and he said, no, I said that I couldn't, not that I wouldn't. And Brother Hagin responded and said, Lord, that's different than anything I've ever heard of. He said, I don't care if I am seeing you. I don't care if I am in the middle of this supernatural thing where I'm seeing you with my natural eyes. He said, I'm going to need the Bible on that. He said, I want you to give me chapter and verse, at least three examples, because the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. 
And Brother Hagin said the Lord smiled at him real sweetly and said, I'll do you one better. I'll give you four. The Lord went on to say this before he showed him examples. He said, there's nowhere in the Bible where the Bible tells you or me or anybody to pray to the Lord that something would be done about the devil. He said, to pray to me, Jesus is talking to Brother Hagin, to pray to me or to pray to the Father in my name that we would do something about the devil is to waste your time in prayer. And Brother Hagin said, well, I've wasted a lot of time in prayer. So anyway, the four witnesses that Jesus gave to Brother Hagin to show that the authority has been given, the authority on earth has been given to the church, not withheld by Jesus. Let's look at them one at a time. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. This is when Jesus is resurrected. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, here's what the Lord said to Brother Hagin. He said, Now, if you stopped reading right there, you'd have to conclude that I do have authority on the earth. Jesus would have authority on the earth. And if that were the case, then he would be the one that would be responsible for exercising that authority. But he, he made mention of this. The Lord made mention of this to Brother Hagin. He said, but I immediately delegated it to the church. I immediately said, go ye therefore in my name and make disciples of all men. Then the Lord said, and in Mark's gospel, this account gets more specific Mark's account is more specific about what I said to them. And you may remember in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, it says, go into all the world and make disciples. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. The Lord mentioned, made mention of the fact that the first thing that it said would be a sign of the believing ones. The ones that believe in his name would be to exercise authority over the devil. Well, you couldn't cast the devil out if you didn't have authority over him, could you? So here's the first witness that the Lord gave, the combination of Matthew 28 and Mark chapter 16. The next one is over in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is the writer of this. This is the same letter that we read the prayer in chapter 1 and 2. And Paul said, now remember Paul's the one that tells us that we've been raised up together with Christ, quickened together with him, raised to be seated at the right hand of God the Father, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world but in that which is to come. He's the one that tells us that all the things of the world and all the things of the devil have been placed under our feet because we are the body of Christ. So in Ephesians 4, 27, Paul says, neither give place to the devil. Now he's talking about behavior. He's talking about people living right and doing the right things, putting away sin and anger and, and don't lie anymore and those types of things. But think about it for a minute. How could we not give place to the devil if we didn't have authority over it? The Bible would be telling us to do something that's impossible for us to do unless, and thank God we do, but it would be impossible for us unless we have authority over him. Look at James chapter 4. James is another of the writers of the epistles. 
We've seen what Jesus had to say. We've seen what Paul had to say. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Notice he said that we're supposed to resist the devil. He didn't say one word about praying that God would resist the devil or do something about the devil for you. Now, one of the things I found interesting about this uh, experience that Brother Hagin had is what he said that the Lord said to him. He said, if most people in the church world today, and of course that was 1950, or in the 1950s, and I don't think things have changed a whole lot since then, in this respect at least. He said, most people would have thought that Paul, that uh, Peter would have written to the church and said, it's come to my attention that God's using our brother Paul in some great and unusual ways. Now, he's talking about Acts chapter 19, where it says that God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were taken under the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. And when they were laid on the sick, the diseases left them. And when there were evil spirits present, those evil spirits went out of them. Jesus said to Brother Hagin, Peter didn't tell the church to write to Paul. He told them to do something about the devil for himself. And that's what brings us to the fourth one. We see what James has to say, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. First Peter chapter 5 is what Peter's response is to the work of the devil. Let's start in verse 6. First Peter chapter 5 verse 6. It says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all of your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary is the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So when Paul encounters the church, when he writes to the church, knowing the church is in difficult situations, he wrote in the letter, uh, earlier in the letter that he sent to them, he said, don't think it to be strange because of the fiery trials and the temptations and the adversities that you're in. He said, the devil does the same thing to people all over the world. He treats us all the same. And so there's no reason to think that yours is unique or more serious or more severe than anybody else's. But instead, he tells them concerning the devil, concerning victory over the devil, he says, the devil is looking for those that will allow him to devour them looking for those whom he may devour. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. But here's the answer. He said, whom resist? Steadfast in the faith. Another translation says, steadfast in your faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Folks, God's plan was to live in you and live in me. His plan was to dwell in us. His plan was to fill us so that we, the church, the body of Christ left here on the earth, could carry out the will of the Father. We could continue in the works of Jesus. But if Jesus is going to operate in this earth, he's going to have to do it through the church. See, the only ones that have authority here on the earth are the ones that have flesh and blood bodies. You remember when Jesus was raised from the dead, he showed himself to the disciples and he said, handle me. 
He said, a spirit has not flesh and, uh, flesh and bone as I have. He didn't say flesh and blood because his blood had been shed. But he said, a spirit hath not flesh and bone as I have. So he's in a different state. His physical form is in a different state than it was when he was here on the earth. And it's certainly a different form than ours is too. But the ones that have authority on the earth are the ones that have bodies like us, not like him. The ones that have authority on the earth are the ones that were born of a woman, both naturally and spiritually born. Jesus doesn't have that body anymore. The only body Jesus has to operate by the influence of God to accomplish God's will is the church. We are his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And all things are under the feet of those that are seated at the right hand of God the Father. That's you and that's me. Again, Jesus, in talking about the importance of the church or the work of the church in Matthew 16, he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Folks, we're the ones that have authority. What do we have authority over? Well, Jesus told his disciples, the 70 in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, he said, Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power or the ability of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Folks, we've got a unique opportunity in this time that we live in. I don't know where you're watching this from or what your situation is, so it might not be appropriate for you to stand up but stand up on the inside and say this after me. I am bought by the blood of Jesus. I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been given authority in the name of Jesus. Whatsoever I bind on earth is, is bound in heaven. And whatsoever I loose on the earth is loosed in heaven. So I refuse to allow my body to succumb to any virus, any disease, any sickness in the name of Jesus. I decide whether or not I'll get the coronavirus. And I've decided that I will not in the name of Jesus. I refuse to accept any sickness or any disease that the devil brings. I refuse to be sick because Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. And with his stripes I am healed. I say that I am healed by the stripes of Jesus and I walk in divine health in Jesus' name. Praise God. Well, I don't know if I've done you any good, but I've preached me happy. Thank you so much for tuning in to our simulcast. We'll see you Sunday.